first century. And so Peter's writing to these congregations. And we've got to this part in the letter where he specifically addresses the elders. And so Adam McNinch, Colin Hume, David Armstrong, David Wilson, David Patterson, David Porteous, Derek Nash, Graham Watson, Harry Robertson, John Easton, Norman Wallace, Phil Doggett, Raymond Greaves, Riaz Mohammed, Robert Naismith, Roger Pagan, Sam Finlayson, Tim Prime, Meryl McHoney, Andy Prime, Liam Garvey, who's away this weekend with Equip. This sermon's for you. So you better especially listen today. It's directed at you. But I want to give you some reasons today, if you're not an elder here, why you should listen as well. If you're a member here at Charlotte Chapel, then you will, from time to time, be asked to uh, place your approval to vote to recognize men to be elders of this church. And so for you to do that properly, you need to understand what are the biblical guidelines and requirements for elders. So it's worth you listening in today. That is especially the case for a second reason, uh, because if you look at our Bible reading, um, in verse 5 it says this, Young men in the same way be submissive to those who are older. Now that could be translated, be submissive to your elders. And so if you are a part of this congregation, then really that, that's the bit of the text that relates to you. Be submissive to your, to your elders. Uh, all the commentators say it's not merely directed to young men. It is to the rest of the congregation who are not elders. And the reason that they pick the young men is for some reason young men tend to be the most rebellious of the lot. So um, what's good for them is good for the rest is the logic so that's a second reason that's worth listening in today. Because if you're a member here and you're not an elder, then you're, you're tasked by God's word to be submissive to your elders. And so therefore I would say to you, it is very important who you put in the eldership. So listen up very carefully what the Bible has to say to elders as you make those decisions about who should be elders. Uh, the third reason I want to give is that my hope and prayer, which was reflected in Andy's prayer a moment ago, is that God would be stoking up in the hearts of other men in this congregation a godly desire to be elders here in this church. One of the roles of leaders is to ensure that the gospel is passed on to the next generation. That the next generation coming up are also faithful to the gospel and that men will be willing to stand up and be godly leaders who will stand for the gospel, proclaim the gospel, and ensure its faithfulness, and will care for the flock. And so I, my hope is today that uh, there would be some men today that the Lord would even now be stirring in your hearts as we examine this passage, that you would want to be an elder in this church. So let's read God's word together and see what God has to say uh, in chapter 5 of First Peter. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who will also share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. 
not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. Let's leave it there. This is God's words. Christian leadership is not for sissies. Um, There's a significant time commitment, mostly unseen. There's a significant emotional investment as you bear the burden of knowing what's going on in people's lives. I was chatting to a, a man who had served as an elder in the church I used to pastor in America, and he had a sabbatical, and he was letting me know that the elders were inviting him to come back on, and he was saying, you know, I've so enjoyed the last two years of not knowing what's going on. And there is a real burden of knowing what's going on, a burden of knowing the difficulties and struggles that people are facing, to walk beside people. There is a significant emotional commitment to being a a Christian leader. Uh, You're in a position where you can often be misjudged and criticized. The McShane Bible reading today came from 2 Corinthians, and I, I was perversely encouraged that Paul too was dealing with criticism Uh, from the church in Corinth, the misunderstanding, because he hadn't turned up when he said he was going to turn up, and he was having to explain why that was, and they'd clearly been saying, oh, Paul, you're very worldly, or you keep changing your mind, and and of course, when you don't know all the facts, it's very easy to be critical, and and that's one of the challenges of leadership. Uh, You have to lead and make decisions, and often that will put you in a place of being criticized, Uh, You can become the focal point of people's anger and frustration. And you're often the one who is asked to go and have those difficult conversations. Um, Who's going to go and speak to that person about this? That's the instinct. Let's look at the shoes. Let's look at what needs to be polished on my shoes. But actually, as a leader, you're expected to have some of those conversations. Now, church leadership is, is not for the faint-hearted, and that's really even in a culture where you're not facing persecution. So, imagine what it must be like to be a church leader in a context, in a country, where on top of that, the church is facing real persecution and opposition. Imagine being in a country where just down the road... Uh, you recently heard how the pastor and some of the elders were beaten up and imprisoned. And the elders in your church come to you and say, we would love you to join the eldership, brother. Now to accept in that context involves real courage, doesn't it? Great courage. Because the truth is that when persecution comes, the leader is the one with the target on on the t-shirt. He's the go-to guy for, leader, for other leaders who want to prosecute and make life tough. So that's the context, really, of these verses. And I want you to notice with me the very warm apostolic call that, makes, that uh, Peter makes to these elders. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder 
a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who will also share in the glory to be revealed. On Friday night, uh, the place where Nathan, my eldest son, plays his rugby, uh, they played host to the Edinburgh Ospreys Premier Football uh, uh, rugby, rugby Football Match. And there on the pitch where I've often seen Nathan running around were some of the international players. Justin Tipperick, uh, Ross Ford, Ryan Jones, Duncan Jones. There's lots of Joneses in the Ospreys team. And there they were running around the same pitch where I've seen Nathan run around with the rugby ball. And then the next day he was playing in that very area. Now, it's as if they were throwing the ball to, to my son and saying, there we are, fellow rugby player. I'm trying to think of now of, of the women in the room. What, what's an equivalent? Well, imagine if uh, Mary Berry. Now, some women don't like cooking, so it's not going to work for you. But, you know, she, she came to your home and she, she came and brought some ingredients and, and she said, she put her arm around, she said, oh, my fellow baker, what shall we cook today? Oh, your cake is delicious. It doesn't have a soggy bottom. You can imagine the joy of Mary Berry saying, you're my fellow cook, fellow baker. Well, there must be an element of that, this sense of collegial warmth and recognition from the Apostle Peter as he, as he writes to these leaders and says, my fellow elders. Peter was not only one of the 12 handpicked disciples of Jesus, he's one of the inner three that went extra places with Jesus. And for three years, he'd followed Jesus around and he'd, he'd listened to his teaching. He saw his life. He saw the miracles. And he was an eyewitness of the sufferings of Christ. He was an eyewitness of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And uh, he was one under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit who wrote books that, are, that we take as God's word today. He was the, the, the man they reckon behind the Gospel of Mark. He wrote, gave us First Peter, Second Peter. But here he describes himself as a fellow elder of God's people. And it's as if he is um, uh, throwing the gospel ball to them, or the Mary Berry spatula. I don't know what the equivalent is. And, and he's saying to them, okay, it's now over to you. I want you to notice with me that the original apostles did not appoint other apostles. Uh, some in the churches today style themselves as apostles. I find that rather weird because actually the apostles never appointed other apostles. What did they do? Well, Peter here, as an apostle, passes the ball, the gospel ball as it were, the gospel spatula, to the elders of these churches. This amazing responsibility to lead God's people is given to elders in local churches. When God's word is preached, it gathers people who've come to put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, and that is a church. And the crucified and now risen Lord Jesus Christ, through his spirit-filled apostles, appoints a group of men to lead the church called the elders. That's what the elders are to do. And that's the, this is the apostolic pattern for the leadership within the local church. We see uh, Paul doing it, don't we, uh, in, in the book of Acts. He gathers the elders uh, of, 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 of the church in Ephesus together. He says, you're not going to see me again, but I'm entrusting, I'm entrusting the gospel to you. I'm entrusting you to God and to his words. 
to care for the flock and be aware that false teachers are coming. It's going to be up to you to, to guard them. And not only is, was he an eyewitness of the Lord Jesus, in his life he continued to be a witness to the sufferings of Christ in the experience of his own sufferings for the sake of the gospel. And he's writing to these men who are having to step up into leadership in a time of persecution, opposition, and face suffering. And he says, yes, I am like you, one who is a witness to the sufferings of Christ in my life as well. I know, I know what it is like. He's not an armchair theor uh, theoretical chap. He's, he's not sort of uh, done a doctorate uh, in the Bahamas and never uh, you know, pastored a church. He, he, he's, he knows what it is to, to suffer. He saw the church in Jerusalem being persecuted and scattered. He knew the pain of that. And he writes them with all that experience and with all that appeal. Yes, I know what it is to suffer for Christ. And look, I, I also know that as I suffer for Christ, that I'm awaiting to, to experience the glory that will come when Christ is revealed. And, and that's true of you as well, he's saying to the elders. That's true of you who may be experiencing suffering, you too, with me, will share in the glory that will be revealed when Jesus Christ returns. That's his very warm appeal to them. I think there's great encouragement before we move away from this point for elders, is just to think about Peter. What sort of witness had Peter been? Well, he was the one who, at the arrest of Jesus, how did he behave? He denied Jesus three times with swearing. Not a good start, was it? Not a good start. And yet after, his, after the death and resurrection of Jesus, uh, Jesus freshly commissioned him in a, in a never-to-be-forgotten barbecue scene on the beach. Three times Jesus said to him, Do you love me? And he replied, Lord, you know, you know that I love you. And what did Jesus say? Feed my sheep. If you love me, Peter, love my flock. Feed my sheep. What we do as elders, as we care for the flock, is we're saying, I love you, Jesus, as we feed the flock. That is the task. And... Um, Elders are not perfect people uh, who never make mistakes, uh, as we've seen in the life of Peter. They're people who turn to Jesus for forgiveness, uh, who seek to show their love for him by caring for his people. And our role is to point people to Jesus, the one who uh, both suffered for our sins and was raised to life, and to point forward to his return. And that's what we do for people. And uh, Peter was an elder who had sinned, repented, and been restored, and who will share in Christ's glory. And that is what a, sh a shepherd, a, an elder, is also to be that sort of person. Not a perfect person, but a repentant person. A person who is pursuing, uh, following the Lord in that way. Well, that's the introduction. I think it's a very warm introduction. And then we get to the meat of it, the burden of what he's got to say. And there it is in verse 2. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers. 
It is an urgent command. Shepherd God's flock. Context suffering. Uh, a church beginning to feel the, the heat of opposition and difficulty. Things are probably only going to get worse. And so the urgent need for that church is for these men who are elders to really step up and do the job. Shepherd God's flock. That's his urgent appeal to them. We need men who will shepherd God's flock. Uh, in a number of places in Scripture, it describes us human beings as being like sheep. That's what we're like. Uh, it was read to us earlier. Turn back to chapter 2, verse 25. For you were like sheep going astray. But now you've returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And maybe there are people here today and you're not Christians. Well, this is how the, the Bible would describe you. You are a sheep that is going astray. You're wandering far from God. You're in a place of danger, a place of threat. And if that is you today, I want you to, say, I want you to see that actually here is a wonderful invitation. The Lord Jesus is described as the good shepherd who, who laid down his life for the sheep. Jesus came to die for sinners, die for people who keep going astray, who fail to obey God, who, who, who disregard God's word, who struggle to, to, to keep up their standards. And he came to gather straying, struggling sheep. And he says, come, come to me. Come and be part of my flock. And if you're not a Christian here today, you're straying from God. But I want you to know this. You can return to God. You can be one of those who returns to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. And you could do that today. You could come to Christ today. You could know the joy of, of being part of God's flock by trusting the Lord Jesus. Turning from your sin, trusting Christ, you could become part of his flock today. That's how the Bible describes us. We are straying sheep. And actually, uh, even as uh, those gathered in, we are sheep that tend to wander around. And so the chief shepherd has appointed shepherds whose job is to uh, keep the sheep together. This, this job of, of, of spiritual leadership is likened to shepherding. So if you think about it in that way, what, what is an elder supposed to do? Well, think about what a shepherd does. The, the shepherd seeks after lost sheep. That's one of the job elders have. We've got to care about evangelism, seeking after the lost sheep. We, we, we are to gather the scattered. People say to me, why do you keep going on about membership and things like that? Well, because that's the role of elders, to, to gather the sheep in. To make them connected. Uh, the shepherd watches over the flock and defends them from danger and from, um, from wild animals who want to feast on them. The shepherd's job is to feed and water the flock to keep them healthy and strong. And that is the job of spiritual leadership. To ensure that God's people are fed by God's words, that they are looking to Christ, that they're growing in Christ, that they're protected from false teaching, from false wolves, and, and, and that they keep persevering in their Christian faith. And Jesus had commissioned Peter, hadn't he? Do you love me, Peter? 
Oh, Lord, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. He commissioned Peter, and Peter turns around, and he commissions these elders to keep doing the job. And the baton has come to us as elders. Our job as elders is to shepherd this flock. It's a, it's a big job of leadership. It's an awesome responsibility. The language here is that we have been entrusted with caring for God's flock. I don't know whether you've ever borrowed something precious from someone else, but if you have, you are very careful with it. Someone on the music team asked to borrow my guitar. It's a really nice guitar. They were feeling really nervous about dropping it, and thankfully they didn't, so they handed it back in one piece. But when you're borrowing something precious, you, you've got to be really careful with it. I, I don't want to damage this. I want to care for this. We are entrusted with God's flock. He, he bought every member of this church with his own blood, it says in Acts. Each soul here is precious to God, and they've been entrusted into our care as elders. So we should shepherd God's flock. What, is, what does that look like? Brother elders, what should we do? Well, should we should be diligently watching over the people that Christ has entrusted to our care. Are we praying through the membership directory? Are we looking out for people Sunday by Sunday? Are we pursuing those who are wandering? Are we instructing and rebuking and loving our members uh, that have been allotted to us? Are we modeling hospitality? Are we looking to reach out to new people? Because that's the command of this text. We are called to shepherd God's flock. Secondly, we are to shepherd God's flock in God's way. And that's what Peter is stressing here. There are three characteristics that he gives here. Uh, We are to do it willingly, eagerly, and by example. Willingly, not because you must, it says but because you are willing as God wants you to be. God loves caring for his people. He is the shepherd, as we've been joyfully praising and thinking about today. The Lord is my shepherd, David sang with delight. This is a wonderful truth about God. And he delights to care for his flock. And he loves it when his shepherds are eager to care for his flock as well. The Lord loves a cheerful giver and the Lord loves a cheerful leader. And I have to say that rebukes some of my attitude sometimes. Elders should um, freely, willingly choose to carry out this amazing task uh, rather than do it grudgingly with a stoic sense of obligation. Well, I suppose someone's got to do it. Now, I'm sure that all of us as elders have at times had that attitude, but. Notice this is what God delights in when his, when his leaders do it, not because they must, but because they're willing. Secondly, they should do it, um, not, uh, they should do it with a desire to give rather than to get. Not greedy for money, but eager to serve, it says. Now, most of the elders receive no financial benefit whatsoever uh, from serving as elders. And it's certainly not money that's motivating them. And uh, Liam and Andy and I are receiving a salary for our work, which we very much appreciate. But I can assure you that most people in the UK do not go into Christian ministry because it's a route to a great salary. 
that's really not the case. But sadly, there have been financial scandals uh, amongst those professing to be Christian leaders who have fleeced the flock, who have taken advantage, who have misused the money given to God's work for personal advantage. And that's what Peter is warning uh, about here. Great damage is done when pastors and elders start treating the flock as a means of personal advancement in material things rather than opportunity to loving service. And lastly, elders should uh, be examples and not emperors as they lead the flock, uh, not lording it over those entrusted to you, verse 3, but examples to the flock. Elders should not be domineering, uh, bringing everyone into line with the use of threats or emotional intimidation, but instead they should lead by the power of example. Follow me as I follow Christ, Paul said. And that is the nature of Christian leadership. It is a sobering one as a leader. But that is the the way we are to lead, by example. And that's exactly what Jesus taught the disciples, wasn't it? He called them together and he said this, You know those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles, lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, verse 5, as I've said, the beginning of that, be submissive to the elders, which I think is a better translation than the NIV has there does suggest that elders have the right to make decisions. That they do have genuine authority to govern the church. But it should be a leadership by example. As I said before, it's, it's, it's uh, not the example of perfection. There would be no elders leading if it was perfection. But elders should lead by modeling that humble repentance uh, before God's words. Uh, a trembling spirit to, to hear what God has to say and to do it and to obey it and to care for God's uh, flock and, and to do so by growing more and more to be like Christ. We are to shepherd God's flock in God's way. Now practically, what does this mean for us at Charlotte Chapel? How do we seek to discharge this role of, of eldership? Well, believe it or not, the primary mechanism is Membership. Uh, defining who the flock is. Um, If you're here today and um, it's a public meeting, we have all sorts of people here. Uh, This is not the church of Charlotte Chapel. This is a much wider group than that. We have people visiting from all over the world every Sunday. We have folk here who are not Christians who are checking things out. But the the church of Charlotte Chapel is actually those who have uh, covenanted to become a member of this church. Uh, it is the membership directory over which the elders have responsibility before God. Those who've chosen to submit themselves underneath the eldership care who've said, look, I want you to love me. I want you to care for me. I want you to watch out for me. I want you to watch over my soul. Uh, people who come in frequently, I don't know what my relationship with them is. If I don't see them next week, should I try and chase them? I, I don't know. The way that I know who I'm supposed to care for is those who have come and joined the membership. That's that's what it means. 
fellowship groups offer a mechanism by which elders can seek to apply God's word specifically to people's lives. Now, some people choose not to be part of fellowship groups. It is a free country. But actually, that is a way that elders are seeking to provide real care for the souls of the flock. Sunday by Sunday, week by week, we, we're here to ensure that uh, God's word is, is preached faithfully, that we're teaching the doctrine correctly, um, that this is a, a place where people are being fed by God's words. Uh, we meet twice a month. We meet uh, once to make decisions together as we plan. We, we meet another time to look at the pastoral concerns of the congregation and to pray for the members and to know who needs special care. And we're available if, if, uh, if anyone here would like to meet with us to, uh, to give you biblical advice, pastoral care, personal prayer. We're available for that. And it greatly concerns us when we see uh, members stop attending because we will start pursuing those because actually that's often the first sign that we're getting cold towards the Lord uh, if we're otherwise healthy. The Bible is so clear that we need this sort of watchful care by fellow uh, brothers and sisters to help us keep pressing on with Christ. So, you know, what I would say to you today is if, you are, if you're here and you're not a member of a church, that will mean one of two things. It'll either mean you're not a Christian, and I would say come to Christ today, or it means you're being disobedient. Now, that's putting it a bit starkly and a bit harshly. You might want to disagree with me later. But actually, I don't think you can probably, uh, properly obey God's word, obey Christ, and follow the commands of his scripture without linking in with a particular church. How can you obey, verse 5, be submissive to your elders if you actually don't have any elders over you? You don't know who your elders are. And actually, they don't know that you're there looking for their spiritual care. And that's one of many commands I could point to in Scripture, which you cannot properly uh, say you're obeying Christ because you're disobeying in that area. And, uh, you know, I appreciate that people wait a time before finding out whether they want to become a member of a church, and that's practical. But if you're still here after several years, I'm wondering what's going on. If you don't like us, then go to a church where you can be a member. But if you like us, come on board, because this is how you obey Christ and follow his words. Well, what is it that motivates the pastor, uh, the elder, the pastor? Synonymous term, really. Is it the money? Well, we've seen it's not the money. Is it the power? You get to make lots of decisions? No. What is it that motivates elders? Well, there it is in verse 4. We are to shepherd God's flock in God's way, looking to God's unfading glory. Look at verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. My brother elders, let me share something that's a bit of a relief to me anyway. This church is ultimately Jesus' responsibility. He's the chief shepherd. Doesn't lessen our responsibility, but I, I find that really comforting that actually this is his responsibility. He's the chief shepherd. He's the one who promises to build his own church so that the gates of hell will not prevail against it, and he's faithful. He's a faithful Lord. He will fulfill that promise. And so if, you, if we're asked to 
as we're asked to do this job of elders, we need to recognize that we cannot change people's hearts. That is something only God can do. We can teach people faithfully. We can point them to the way. We can encourage them through godly example and instruction. And and one of the great joys of being an elder is, is you do sometimes really see people's hearts change. People's hearts soften and people begin to refollow the Lord's. But sometimes you share and you teach and you lead and people harden their hearts and they, and they walk away. And it is one of the agonies of being an elder to see people walk away from Christ in bitterness and wander off. And actually we cannot change people's hearts. Christ is Lord of his church and we have to entrust these people into his care even as they walk away but we're called to be faithful. And those who bear the burden of faithfully shepherding God's flock, willingly, eagerly, and as examples, will receive a crown of glory when Christ the chief shepherd is revealed. A crown that will never fade, it says here. Winning athletes in the, in the ancient Rome used to receive a laurel crown, you know, which I'm sure looked great when they put it on their head, but you know, a week later, it's looking a bit shriveled, isn't it? It's not looking that fabulous. And this world offers uh, to bestow honor and glory in lots of ways. Gold medals. Tonight, Oscars. Oscars in, in L.A. Or bonuses, bank bonuses, or awards, or titles. But the glory of all such worldly things disintegrates and fades. But not so for those who've served faithfully as shepherds of God's flock. They will receive the unfading crown of glory. Now, there's a number of places in the Bible that speak of Christians receiving a crown from the Lord Jesus. It's a picture of honor and reward. In 2 Timothy, it speaks of a crown of righteousness. And in James, a crown of life. But I actually believe that Peter here is speaking of a specific reward to those who've served as faithful elders of his church. And as one of the joys of heaven, I'm sure, will be looking out and seeing the men and the women that are standing there praising Jesus because they came to Charlotte Chapel where we served as elders. And there's, there's brothers here who've retired as elders and you've done your duty. You've been here faithfully serving as elders for many years in the past, long before I came up here. And you will have the joy in that day of seeing, I believe, hundreds of people who, under your time of caring for this flock, who came to trust Christ and know Christ. And will that not be the greatest joy of heaven? It will. To know that in some small way, we played a part in that. That this church was sustained and kept and governed and led and continued to be faithful because you, by God's grace, played a role of faithfully leading his people. It will be so humbling to receive from Jesus the commendation because we'll know how pitifully we did the job really, how much we fell short of it, and yet this will be the commendation. We'll receive an unfading crown of glory. It'll be worth it. It'll be worth it. Let's keep praying as a church for the elders. Would you do that? 
I think elders are under more stress and strain. Most of these brothers work very long hours in their jobs and then come to meetings and have to sit through long meetings away from family. Would you pray for them? Would you pray the Lord would give them willing, eager hearts? That the Lord would continue to strengthen and sustain us? That we'd make wise decisions? And would you pray the Lord would raise up more shepherds for this flock? I love seeing the children here. And my hope and prayer is that the church that they will grow up into will continue to be faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that largely be down to the elders doing their job faithfully and diligently. Let's pray that the Lord raise up from these little ones upstairs stamping on our ceilings earlier. Did you hear them? What a joy. It was as if the heavens were going to come down, but it was the children. Let's pray that the Lord will raise up godly men and women, godly elders to lead this flock. Let's pray.